Good morning, afternoon, or evening. Please delete as appropriate. Hello there, and welcome to this episode number 406 of the Material Podcast. I am Andy Anatko, and I am alone this week. Flo is off on assignment this week, uh, purely due to some really crummy timing that struck on our usual recording light, not, night. Don't, don't worry about it. She and her family haven't gotten sick or anything. She's fine. It was just the wrong thing happening at the wrong time, and Oh boy. <laughs> uh, so I hope you all don't mind if it's just me this week. Uh, our release schedule, as you know, got a little erratic earlier this year. And moving forward, Flo and I decided to try to limit the, or contain, let's say, the erratic aspects of material to just pivoting into the occasional totally irrelevant discussion of 90s sitcoms at a moment when we're right in the middle of discussing a topic that is serious and about Google. Uh, that 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 is kind of our brand. We have to spend our erraticness at a, at a, in, a, in places where we th- feel our audiences can get the best benefit. And uh, being a day late or three days late with an episode, we don't think that that's the best place to use our <laughs> – well, when we're talking about erraticness, we're talking about burning through your goodwill. <laughs> so uh, that means that uh, we're going to try to get the show into the editing pipeline on Thursday uh, by hook or by what's it. So, uh, so that's what we're doing this week. But if you're a member supporter of Material and Really FM, you will still get your flow fix this week in our weekly bonus episode. Uh, Flo and I are going to be recording that tonight. In the past week, Sundar Pichai has given not one but two big interviews, and so we're going to spend our bonus episode digging into those together. So go to relay.fm slash membership to sign up. If you have it, you'll get to listen to that, a whole bunch of other uh, member-only episodes we do every single week, and all the other special uh, episodes and content that everybody else on Relay FM creates for our members. Well, onward with some personal news. I found my broken eyeglasses which means I can finally give you my review of last month's update to Google TV uh, through my Chromecast HD. Okay, admittedly, the first thing doesn't seem to connect with the second one. I know that. I will explain. Now, in November, I broke my eyeglasses clean in two right at the bridge. I was able to fix them temporarily using some incredibly cool resin stuff that flows out of this pen type applicator as a line or drops of clear flowing liquid, but then it cures almost immediately into this hard, permanent, real plastic. Uh, as soon as you shine this ultraviolet LED flashlight that it comes with on it for, for just a few seconds, love the stuff. Now, and my glasses survived long enough with this fix to get me through a live opera at the Met the following week. Relief there. Uh, And then I broke them again in December by cleaning the lenses a little bit too aggressively. That wasn't the fault of the stuff. I still recommend it highly. It's called Bondic, B-O-N-D-I-C. And there's going to be a link to the Amazon ordering page for that stuff in the show notes. Go to relay.fm slash material for the show notes and all those other links. Okay, well, uh, the lenses of my eyeglasses, they're really, they're, they're a weak prescription. I'm a little bit nearsighted, and so this prescription it just helps me a little bit with uh, hard edges and reading things that are off in the distance. I did have the address of a repair shop not far away, uh, and I didn't have time to go to go right away. So I put what you could, I don't know if you'd call them now bifocals, or maybe the more accurate way of describing this as uh, stereo monocles. Whatever it was, I put it in a plastic bag put it away someplace uh, until I could find a morning to go and get them repaired. That day inevitably came. So I'm wanting your picture with this. I'm completely dressed, <laughs> showered, shaved. I've got my, I've, I've got the, the, the satchel that I wear when I go out uh, for the afternoon. I had the baggie with these broken eyeglass parts in my hand. 
I put the baggie down so that I could have my hands free to put on my shoes. And immediately after tying my shoes, I was going to pick up that bag from where I put it, leave the house, get them fixed, done. Well, uh, that was the last I saw of that baggie for, I am not even slightly kidding, over two months, maybe even three. Yes, in the time it took for me to tie my shoes, they just disappeared. They'd gone to the land of ghosts and winds, irretrievably so, it seemed like. And I also want to point out, that was two or three months of serious, intense searching for the damn things. It's not like I it just slipped my mind and then I just, oh, well, not today. I guess I'll do it some other time. No, no. This was very much on my mind. I was wondering if I had uh, a raven, a raccoon, something that is known for being naughty and stealing things. Elves? I don't know. I, I, believe in, I believe in crows and I believe in raccoons. I'm not sure if I believe in elves, but... I, I was I was going for anything there. It was just such a mystery. The the things had hidden themselves so well during those two or three minutes that I was tying my shoes that eventually over the weeks I stopped being frustrated and angry about losing it. I I was actually impressed. I I would say that the disappearance of those glasses was like as masterfully executed as like the disappearance of DB Cooper. But not not really. I, I have to give the edge to the glasses because, like, we all know that the dude almost certainly lawn darted into utterly impenetrable woods someplace between Seattle and Reno. He's not lost. We just haven't found him yet. These things were lost. Uh, there, I knew that these glasses were alive and well somewhere, probably having a really good laugh at my expense as well. I was getting very frustrated. Well, welcome to the world of ADHD. These things will happen. Now, they, they almost never happened to me at this level of intensity. But yeah, if you're ever skeptical about what ADHD is, it really is sometimes exactly that. It, putting down something, switching to the most basic of tasks for no more than a minute or two, but in that time, my brain completely erases my entire recent history of that item, and it does it as thoroughly as I hope the Tor browser on my MacBook is eradicating my browser history. <sighs> okay, well, my Chromecast received the new Google TV update in February, but I never got to see it. Like my, my living room and bedroom TVs, they're both far enough across the room from the sitting places that watching TV for that amount of time where my glasses were lost, uh, I, I wound up watching TV on the iPad or the MacBook screen in my lap or next to me on the bed. Way more satisfying, way more entertaining. Now, I finally found my glasses in late March, and I did it the way I find anything that's been hopelessly lost and driven me to increasingly intense and more energetic orbits of desperation. I committed myself to spending a whole afternoon giving that whole part of my house an intense, deep, remorseless cleaning. Like, you know, the kind where furniture gets disassembled and moved, all the couch cushions get vacuumed both sides, and then the inside of the couch gets vacuumed, carpets get rolled up, uh, bookcases get pulled away from baseboards. You can scrub all the dust away from the baseboards. The smell of pine saw was everywhere. That kind of house cleaning. And I finally found them. Let's not get, let's not get into where, but okay. I, that was <laughs> desperation bred success. Uh, so skip a week to finally get around to taking them to the repair shop as I intended to three months earlier. And voila, I could finally watch the new Google TV and bathe in the impressiveness of the new user interface. Now, here is my comprehensive report. 
I think you'll I think you'll agree that the above like five minutes of preamblage uh, seemed unnecessary, but it was worth the trip to get us to what is going to be a bumper crop of intense critical analysis, which is as follows. It's fine. It's it's fine. The the home screen seems a little bit less cluttered, and I do like that. The upper right corner system men- menu, it feels like it got like a material design e redesign. It seems a lot more compact, a lot more efficient. I like that too. I'm a big fan of material design. Give me material design wherever you want to throw it. Uh, the new Google TV does seem to be better at connecting to Bluetooth speakers and and just as importantly, disconnecting from them. And that's a big relief. Uh, that's that's something that that failing was something that would screw up. Uh, that, that the process would screw up maybe one out of every five or six times. You know, like I, I was used to. Okay, this it's not. I thought it was connected to the speaker from two hours ago. No, it isn't. Great. Go connected to the speaker. Go back into the YouTube app. Resume the playback. And now YouTube is just unaware that there are any speakers of any kind connected anywhere, even though it's connected to the correct speaker and everything. Just there's a problem with the uh, force quit YouTube restarted. It was just no. So I'm glad I'm glad to have that brick out of my backpack. But I'm still frustrated, frustrated that I still have to connect my Google Nest Max and Google Nest Home speakers to it via Bluetooth instead of using a more sophisticated and stable Chromecast connection. It's just it continues to I've, I have no idea why Google will, will not get on this. It seems like the most natural thing in the world that go into the Google Home app or even go into the, one of the menus in Google TV and where it says speakers, audio, just say, oh, find me find me Chromecastable speakers. Hey, well, what do you know? You are surrounded by Google-branded product. I think I would like to, to connect to that Google-branded product and take advantage of the fact that all of you engineers on all of these teams, on all of these products – happen to be drawing paychecks from the exact same $2 trillion account. Maybe that means that it will work better or something, but no. And that also means that I can't use like stereo pairs on, uh, on, uh, on my bedroom TV with these uh, Google home speakers. I, I it's, a, it's because the Bluetooth function of these speakers only works with one at a time. You can't have a group of speakers uh, in Google home that, uh, that connect to or appear to other devices as a Bluetooth single unit. And I know I should get on it. And I should find a better solution to this than uh, than than what I've got. Um, it's the, the the tornado of cleaning has that's the one corner of my of my house that that part of the bedroom has not yet succumbed to uh, to take it all apart <laughs> and then put it all to back together again and reconsider every cable, every connector, every device I've got in that corner of the room. Maybe at, some, maybe at some point I'll lose something again desperately enough and I'll remember, ooh, I was kind of in that corner of the room. Maybe that's that's what's going to provoke my finally like spending 100 bucks or 200 bucks to get it, its own dedicated speaker and hook it up correctly and that sort of stuff. Until then, this is my pain and I'm here to share it with you. Uh, the other thing that I would like to report is that the new season of Ted Lasso is terrific. <laughs> I wasn't watching that until I got my glasses back. So anyway, uh, Oh, and and also uh, in addition to Ted Lasso, remember what I said about that Bondic stuff. It, I, it, it is great. I went and bought two more kits. They're like ten, fifteen bucks, and you get a, a good amount per per kit. You get the you get the applicator, you get the stuff, you get the LED UV light, you get everything. 
and one of them was one of the extra one of them was an extra kit for me and the third was i just knew that at some point i'd have a friend or a neighbor who like would <laughs> would have like something that's taped up and barely holding together and i would say say you know what would what what you could really use you could use like a whole new part blob of melted plastic bridging that gap and holding those two together as though they were fused there at the factory oh yes from your from your mouth to god's ear andy but who who can where could i find such a thing and i would say if you can you don't have to find it i'm giving it to you this is one of the benefits of knowing andy not go now one of the anti-benefits is that i will complain about how long it took me to find my glasses but there, there there's an upside i hope you'll agree uh well onward to this week's episode whose greatness is limited definitely by the lack of florence ion but i think or i hope you'll think it's still worth a listen well uh so what we're gonna be talking about this week google might be ready i think to roll out a suite of new basic features that will make all of our android devices work together seamlessly maybe even beyond our android devices i don't know i'm speculating a little bit but i feel good about this uh in other news a gm makes like billy ocean and tells google get out of my dreams get into my car while also at the same time telling apple and a different google thing to just get out of the car out we don't want you anymore that was that was worth the singing that was worth whatever, whatever license fee we're gonna have to pay for that uh, for that clip i i think it's worth it uh Get Out of My Dreams, Get Into My Car by Billy Ocean. Ticks every box for a late 80s pop song. There's, there is not a single natural fiber in the entire mix of this track. All It's entirely synthesizers and a drum machine. Uh, and the music video is also absolutely ticks every box for a late 80s music video, including uh, a mix of live action and cartoon characters overlaid. You've got a, a, a cartoon duck uh, dressed up as a b-boy with a big boombox and everything so uh, yeah <laughs> uh, it was it was even used in a 2018 applebee's commercial uh, anyway <laughs> okay and finally a uh, google did something really dumb with google drive even though they undid it later the whole escapade really leaves them looking dumb enough to fall for the hey have you got two tens for a five trick and that's not but we have some time to think about that. Uh, think about that while we take this break. This episode of Material is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Watching Netflix without using ExpressVPN is a bit like buying tickets for your favorite artist, but only being allowed to watch the opening act. I don't know if you know this, but some streaming services have different content libraries for every country. So there are tons of shows available in those other countries. And with a VPN, you can access those other libraries. It basically tweaks where Netflix or other services think you are right now. That means I can watch It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia on the UK Netflix with just one click by opening the app, choosing the country I want Netflix to think I'm in, and then refreshing. There's so many reasons to choose ExpressVPN. It has blazingly fast speeds. You can stream in HD with zero buffering. It's compatible with all your devices, phones, laptops, media consoles, smart TVs, and more. Plus, they have servers in 94 different countries, so you can gain access to thousands of new shows. And it works with other streaming services like BBC iPlayer, YouTube, and many more. You can stop paying full price for streaming services and only getting access to a fraction of their content 
Get your money's worth at expressvpn.com slash material. Don't forget to use the link at expressvpn.com slash material to get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Well, you know that Google loves its slogans. Google's been using the slogan better together to describe the Android mission for a few years now. But like another one of their slogans, don't be evil, the company's interpretation of what better together actually means tends to change from month to month and from project to project. But this week, Google made two little announcements that they pull it, They put a thought in my head, okay? If I'm right, it could mean that Google's about to pull off the most betterest <laughs> and the most togetherful packed better together trick ever. And maybe I'm hoping even with a full demo of all this stuff at Google IO next month, I've got my fingers crossed for an ecosystem in which all devices that are logged into the same Google account can share files and data and even app functions and uniting everything I'm logged into with my Google account into like one single hydra of functional awesomeness. Well, here's the news items that brought these thoughts on. Uh, Android has had nearby share for a couple of years now. That's the feature where you can uh, copy a URL or basically wirelessly airdrop or send a, 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 a document file, a picture, a URL, whatever, from one Android phone to another Android phone. Well, this week, as they've been promising... Google launched a public beta of Nearby Share for Windows. That's the name of it, Nearby Share for Windows. Now, granted, they promised we'd have this by the end of 2022, but what the hell, we've got it, and it seems to work great. Uh, Nearby Share has been limited to just phones and laptops running Google operating systems. Chromebooks, for instance, just got it last year. So it's a really big deal that it now allows Android phones and Chrome OS laptops to wirelessly just drop files <laughs> to the single most popular desktop operating system on the planet. That's a not inconsiderable number of devices that it can now see and actually use this feature with. Uh, Flo is in on the beta. She She's written about her experience in Gizmodo. She reports that once the beta was installed on her Windows notebook, uh, finding eligible nearby shared devices in her office and copying files and stuff between them was easy as cake, a piece of pie, et cetera, whatever other idiom you'd like to bash apart. She also felt like it uh, seemed like a, uh, like a native windows feature. So it's not like, Hey, I want to carelessly move this, move this picture from my phone to, uh, to my laptop. I need to fire up an app. I need to raise an antenna, whatever. No, it just seemed as though this was something that was hardwired into windows, which is exactly the point of nearby share and airdrop where there's nothing you need to configure. As long as you've already activated this feature, so long as you've already told the device, any device that uh, is in my friends, my friends list in my contact manager is allowed to send me stuff. Uh, it, it's not, you know, it's not supposed to interrupt you with a whole bunch of <laughs> mind boggling, like logins and, 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 and from frummery. That's a word that I made up. I'm proud of it. I will use it again. If I am provoked. Uh, if uh, both devices are logged into the same Google account, it happens even more automatically. It's all in the background. If they're not, if they're uh, different uh, accounts, then there will be a little bit of the receiver will get a hey, Andy Notko wants to send you a picture. You're not going to let him get away with that, are you? And you can reject it or accept it, which is makes makes perfect sense. The feature requires Windows 10 or above, and it is not compatible with ARM-based Windows hardware. 
name me five things that are compatible with Windows laptops that are based around ARM. Uh, and it, of course, it is a it is a public beta. Uh, you have to sign up for it. And but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it looks pretty cool. Okay, so let's lay that groundwork. The other piece of news was kind of even much much smaller than that. It might have even you, you might have even wondered why anybody bothered to notice it. Uh, but it seems inconsequential, but this is why I think it could be a sign with this other thing of something big that's coming. It is a new app, uh, a new version of the app called uh, Cross Devices Services from Google, which dropped on the Play Store on Tuesday. Now, the app icon for this app called Cross Devices Services on the Play Store, the app icon is about as interesting as a slice of untoasted white bread without butter or jam, and it pivots every attempt at conversation into different detailed ideas it has about how printed telephone books could one day make a comeback. I'm talking plain and dry. That's a tip off that it's one of those packages that, yeah, it's technically it's an app, but it's not something that you're meant to launch it and use it as a user. It's the presence of this app on the phone will support a whole bunch of new functions or features or APIs that aren't part of the big proper Android release. And there's no exciting blog post about it either from the official Google blogs, just an app description, which I will now read to you. This app allows you to do things like reply to a message, check the status of a rideshare, or start slash edit your shopping list from your Chromebook. It saves time and allows you to focus when you are already on your Chromebook without having to switch devices. Okay, so you can control some functions of your Android phone using your Chromebook screen and keyboard. It's nice. Not thrilling, as Caesar said, but nice. Or if you don't have a Chromebook, completely irrelevant, the argument could be made. Okay, so why do I find this interesting? Aha, because cross-device services is much more ambitious than that. It's not supposed to be just a simple feature add-on for Chrome OS. It's actually a way for all the devices logged into your Google account to have a shared hardware and software and productivity experience. Google started talking up this cross-device services thing last year at CES of all places, and they've been teasing it little dribs and drabs over the course of the year. There was uh, a developer video about it at Google I.O. in May, not day one, not during, it wasn't mentioned during the keynote. It was just if you are subscribed to that channel and you are determined to look at everything that gets posted for all the developers, you will find a video that explains exactly how this works and the uh, basics of how developers can support it. Uh, what it, what is it? Well, cross devices services is a software layer it exists between third party apps and the multiple devices that are logged into your Google account and cross devices services. It, it'll take care of things like discovering nearby devices, authorizing and securing lines of communications between those devices, sharing an app's current state on one device with that's another copy of that same app running on another nearby device and other basic stuff that enables what you might call actually, and what Google does call quote, multi-device experiences, unquote. And it also handles task handoff. That's the thing where a user might start a task on one device and continue it on another one. Like you're watching a live stream or writing a Google doc on your Uber ride home. And then once you get inside, you can pick up right where you left off on your tablet or your laptop and all that sort of stuff that's abstracted for the developer by cross device services. All a third party developer needs to do to support this stuff is just build that 
build the app specific functions that that you want to take advantage of that want to take advantage of this stuff. You don't have to do any of the infrastructure itself. Now, so how can this actually create the sort of urbana nirvana that we're we're hoping for for multiple devices? Well, here's an example. Like think about how you uh, you stream video on a TV. Uh, like let's let's, see, let's say like in my own bedroom setup, I've got Google TV on my bedroom TV. Uh, today, the old-fashioned way, the twenty the early twenty twenty three version of reality, you or I will launch a streaming app on my phone, and then I have the app direct to the, find the Google TV as a as a Chromecast device and tells that Google, that Chromecast receiver, I want you to open up this specific network stream as directed by this app on my phone. And it works fine. You've got the full phone interface and you're watching something on your TV, but it's not terribly sophisticated and it's limited as to what it can do. Now imagine that same sort of function with the streaming app on Google TV and the streaming app that's on my phone fortified with cross-device services. So when I launch Hulu on the, on my Google TV through the remote control, whatever, the app on the Google TV detects on its own that, hey, there's a phone or a tablet or something in the room that also has the Hulu app installed. And it can automatically wake up that app and have it do stuff that doesn't necessarily take re- replacement of the user experience on the TV, but it can actually just sort of parcel off some of it and enhance the, the TV experience. So for instance, the 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 TV screen is the the show I'm watching, but the device's screen, my phone screen, is displaying nothing but captions, uh, or it's uh, displaying like pop up info as I'm watching a, a live sportscast or something like that, or as a really really like rich user interface media controller for what I'm watching. So it's again. These are two different Android devices, uh, Google-based devices that are talking to each other to create a seamless experience between the two of them. And Google's documentation on the developer site, they have other cool examples of how they're hoping that uh, developers will take advantage of this. Like uh, uh, how many times where in your family or with your roommates, you decide that uh, we're not cooking tonight. Let's let's just order DoorDash or something. Let's order let's order from the from the pizza place, uh, pizza place across the street. Uh, what does everybody want? And everybody has to somehow pull up like their their own copy of the menu of wherever you've decided to order, and then they've like everyone's barking out what they want as you're filling in the order with your uh, with the DoorDash app on your phone. If DoorDash were to enhance itself with cross device services. If again, given that you've if you have if you've identified all these people in your family, your your partner and your two or three kids, like as part of a group that's allowed to have this shared experience together, then they each individually just fire up their DoorDash app, or their DoorDash app just fires itself up with a, a subset of its features, and it can scroll through the menu of where you're ordering from, click on the boxes to say, "Yep, I want this, this, this," and yes, I do want guac. Uh, fine, uh, fine. I, I know my behavior has not merited <laughs> the the benevolence of, of of having guac on my burrito. Fine, I will give you the three dollars myself. Just give me give me guac, and then the phone that's in the person who's ordering hand is automatically populated with all of these different orders from everyone else in the house. And so you just tap one button as if you had tapped all that stuff in yourself. Uh, that's pretty cool. It sounds uh, at minimum like. Google wants to catch up with some stuff that Apple's been offering its users for a long time. AirDrop, which you know about, that's the, again, I've, I've got this, I got a picture on my phone. I want it to be on my MacBook. Presto, it's on my MacBook. I didn't have to upload it to Google Photos or something and download it from the other thing. Just as if I'm copying it onto a floppy disk. <laughs> uh uh, but there's also a broad assortment of Apple features under the label of universal control that are 
pretty damn nice. Uh, I mean, that would be a win for uh, all my Google devices and Android devices if that's all it was, uh, some some smack of uh, universal control in these devices. Like I often, uh, with my Mac stuff, my Apple stuff in my office here, I will often like stand my iPad next to my MacBook and it's easel stand. Like I'll have like a video running, something about that. And I'll forget all about universal control until I'm again using my, using my MacBook and my, I mouse a little bit to the, a little bit too far to the edge of my MacBook screen. And the pointer just flawlessly moves off of the MacBook screen and into the iPad screen where I can, (laughs) now it's now a pointer for the iPad. It's kind of like magic, how well it works and how natural it seems and how logical a feature it seems to be something that you would absolutely want to have on all of your devices. It it makes me feel smart for having chosen to give Apple so much of my money. It, it works so well. Super useful feature, and that keeps my iPad integrated into my workflow. It's it. This is the reason why my iPad doesn't stay like in the chair where I'm doing my reading or doesn't stay in my laptop bag or whatever, it tends to get out and get used because if it is anywhere near one of my Macs, it'll be an external display or it'll be a unified experience between the keyboard and the mouse of all this stuff. That's something that's very, very, very worth having. But potentially, and I'm going to underscore the word potentially, what Google's going on could surpass Apple. Like in the developer video uh, during last year's Google I.O. that explained all this stuff, the engineer who gave the presentation opened with a broad pitch about cross-device services, what, what it was. That's an, it was an introductory sort of thing. And this feature, the, Google's intentions are to take it way beyond Google's own operating systems. She directly mentioned support for Windows and iOS without actually promising that it was coming by a certain date, I admit. But it wasn't just, hey, it allows your Android tablet to talk to your Android phone and to talk to your Google uh, Google Chrome OS device, which is kind of a version of Android. It's like, no, specifically, we, are, we want, the, we want uh, Windows apps to be able to take advantage of this and to unite with your Android phone. Android phone. We want your iOS device to, re, to unite with your uh, with your with your Chrome OS device by implication, it would also the transitive property would suggest that it also could be used to have iOS devices work with Windows devices. The and and that really cool get all my messages in on one screen without having to keep switching switching aborting workflows like that. And when she get, went through this list, she ended the list with other operating systems. Yeah. I found that pretty exciting because I'm hoping she, by not mentioning it, but I, ho- I was hoping she was nodding towards Mac OS and not just Linux. Linux would be great. It's great. I love Linux. It's great. Uh, but, oh, my goodness, to have my Android device working uh, intimately with my Mac stuff would be amazing. And, it would, and you know what? Uh, it would also... Uh, address something that I think is one of Apple's biggest limitations as a, I mean, as a company, not just like hardware software limitations, they are, they take justifiable pride in how well they can roll features that work together and just plain work efficiently. But the rule is about has, it's like, okay, yes, you're right. This, uh, the continuity camera works great. Uh, yes. These, yes, this, this universal control feature also works great, but, Let's admit that we're talking about we. Ha- I have uh, a Apple MacBook laptop 
running Apple's Mac OS operating system that is connecting really well to Apple's iPad hardware, tablet hardware, which is running Apple's iPad OS operating system. If they can't get this working beautifully and gorgeously, honestly, they should, they should, they, they, they should be looking for cans and bottles by the beach. <laughs> that, that's something they should be doing. Does it seem like a big challenge that when you control everything, when you can plan out everything, when you can basically stack the deck any way you want it, you can create features that work great within this tight, tight, tight uh, little complex. Uh, it's really ambitious to create something like what Google might be going for here, which is to, as they've always done saying, we, we make we somehow make money every time that you have a, uh, any sort of device that's logged into a Google account. So we are going to encourage, we're going to do put in all the work to make sure that everything that we ship will work on anything that can log into a Google account. And like I said, uh, Apple's universal control limited to Apple operating systems and devices it's it's a form of lock-in with cross-device services. Google could deliver exactly those features and beyond to quite literally any device that can access a Google account. So that seems like one hell of a trick. And also, it serves a wider range of people. Uh, it's again, I love my MacBook, love it. Uh, I wish I could have an Apple Watch. Uh, the iPhone, as you know, I can take or leave. And I decided to leave it, but. The whole point is that we should be able to mix and match all of our hardware to whatever our specific needs are. There was a time when Apple's MacBooks were just hopeless. And uh, this is when they 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 had that terrible keyboard with, I'm not kidding, 0.52 millimeters of, of, of key travel. It was garbage. Even before the thing stopped, started breaking, and they, they broke a hell of a lot oh my God, this keyboard was garbage. And the rest of the laptop itself was not garbage, but oh, it was a form of trash. It was terrible. And I decided that if this really is what Apple's decided is going to be the absolute committed future for the MacBook hardware, boy, when this MacBook of mine breaks down, I'm probably going to have to get a Windows laptop because I can't settle this. I, I can't I can't slum this badly for a piece of really expensive hardware that I don't like and that I can't even type on just for the just so that I can say that I continue to use to use the Mac. I would have been someone who had maybe a Mac desktop and a, 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 a Lenovo ThinkPad as my notebook and an Android uh, Google <laughs> Google Android phone. And I can do that if I'm working with companies that 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 Play the game on expert level that don't assume that you're going to have that this company's going to have control over everything that they have to plan and, and be a little bit agile. This could be one hell of a showcase for what Google can do. And it would also embolden and enable a lot of people to say, geez, you know what? I love most of my Apple hardware, but like, like me, like I just really would much rather have an Android device. Unfortunately, unfortunately, uh, my MacBook will only work well with an iPhone. Well, no, not not anymore. Maybe uh, that that would be pretty stellar. Now, I know I should cool my jets. Apple has a huge advantage here over Google. I'm not just talking about uh, on their ecosystem where they control absolutely everything. They have an advantage that is well earned. They can count on the support of the developer community for almost anything that Apple proposes. That uh, now this is a combination of their reputation for 
truly committing to these new ideas over the long haul. If they were to, if, when they come out with uh, with their with universal control, they're saying that this isn't an ex- this isn't an experiment. We're not uh, putting we're not just sort of thumbing putting our thumb in here and 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 hoping we can yank it out if we, if the water seems too hot, if it gets too inconvenient, or if some manager gets promoted out of this position and the new manager doesn't really care for this that much. We're only proposing this to you during the week of, 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 of videos and instructions at uh, WWDC because we think that this is an important missing part of the entire Apple ecosystem. And we are committed to not only rolling this out on schedule and making it great, but continuing to support it, continuing to promote it, and continuing to build it over the next four, five, six years and beyond. Google uh, doesn't really have that reputation, do they? It's, it's like, oh, God. If 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 I were on board the Titanic, and Google was running, Google had made all of the lifeboats. I would probably take my chances with a deck chair because I'm not sure that Apple that, that Google's commitment to supporting those bo- boats would last more than 38 minutes <laughs> after I'd boarded one and entrusted my life to it. They're, they're just not really trustworthy that way. They're a little bit fickle. They're a little, more than a little bit fickle. So uh, the, the, the other thing that Apple has has advantage, uh, they, uh, the developers can trust them, but also they Apple is willing to twist developers' arms so hard uh, that it nearly dislocates. When there's something that Apple thinks is important, they will pretty much almost not give the developer the option of not supporting it. They will make it so hard for them to live inside planet Apple without supporting whatever new file transport system, whatever networking system, whatever Apple exclusive payment system, login system. They're going to make you so despondent about the turn that your life has taken that you will eventually give up and support it anyway. Google does not have that kind of leverage. Google was always just, they always have to sell, sell, sell every single new API, sell it hard and sell it consistently if there's any hope to bring developers on board. And it doesn't even matter how cool the new thing is or what kinds of opportunities it creates, what potential it has. Google needs to and should sell this new system, excuse me, sell this new system like they believe it has the power to make up for nearly all the mistakes that Google has made over the past five years. And like the dignity of the entire company is on the line based on the launch, uh, based, based on the launch of cross device services. They really have to sell that and embarrass themselves and humiliate themselves if they have to, to make that point and keep making that point consistently. But, well, Google I.O.s, as we know, is just about a month away. Maybe part of my excitement about all this is the timing of these two little quiet and interrelated announcements. Flo and I have already talked on the show about the likelihood of Google showing off new hardware during the, AI, the, during the I.O. keynote, as well as revealing what we're hoping is finally a cohesive and impressive lineup of AI-powered tools and features instead of the scattershot defensive, hey, don't just look at Microsoft, open AI, we've got AI too. Uh, those And those those things, they're still at the top of uh, my expectations list. But now I've also got my fingers crossed that just maybe there'll be a section of the Google I.O. keynote where stagehands silently roll in like two or three desks. They're full of phones and laptops and tablets and watches and stuff, all made by Google and Lenovo and Apple and Samsung and all kinds of different 
every major company you can think of. And then they use all this new technology to put on one hell of a magic show that just like when I mouse uh, too far off the side of my MacBook screen makes me damn happy that I've, that I, that I've entrusted my personal data to having a Google account. Very, very happy that I have an Android device. Very happy that I have an Android based TV, uh, TV system. Uh, I, it's, it could be pretty exciting. Well, on that burst of optimism, hopefully not unfounded optimism, let's take another break. When I come back, I'm going to talk about cars and drivers. Not drivers, Google Drive, actually, but that would have messed up the rhythm of the teaser had I said Google Drive. Anyway, back after this. Well, it's time for car talk. Yeah, we have a lot of car news this week for some reason. Uh, there's so let's uh, it's and uh, the first big piece of news has to do with car in car infotainment systems. Now, if you're familiar with this at all, you know that you have exactly three options for in-car infotainment systems for control of that big center screen. You've got, number one, Apple CarPlay. Number two, you've got Android Auto. Number three, you've got singing 99 bottles of beer in the wall to drown out the voices inside your head. There is no number four. Those are your three options. And you might be saying, but Andy, what about the, the what, what about the, Bluetooth uh, inside the thing or the whatever custom piece of software that the automaker has made for that center console. Well, uh, you and I both know that th this uh, technology that the car has developed on the car company has developed on its own is a collection of twigs and dried insects held together by 2000 lines of Fortran code that the automaker came up with on their own. And that's not really an option for any sane person. But General Motors, they love rolling the dice. They love rolling, rolling the dice almost as much as they despise their customers. So therefore, inevitably, they, they're no longer going to be offering uh, Apple or Google systems in any of their EVs, beginning with the models that they released during the 2024 model year. And keep in mind that they have pledged, or excuse me, they're planning to get rid of all non-EVs uh, by the mid-2030s. So this is definitely uh, <laughs> the, the long haul ahead. Uh, so what they're going to give people instead? Well, instead... All of new GM EVs will come with brand new software of their own devising. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm sure it'll be fine. After all, this is the same company that came, with, came up with the Corvair, which Ralph Nader held up as a case study of how American cars are death traps, basically. Uh, they also came up with the Pontiac Fiero. That's the one they're responsible with. Now, this one gets double points on this list because not only did GM deliberately choose a name of, of every possible name they could have chosen. They chose a name that made people wonder if maybe, just maybe, this Fiero was poorly designed that the engine had a tendency to spontaneously go up in flames. Uh, the second mistake they made was to use it on a car that had an engine that actually did have a tendency to spontaneously go up in flames. There's the Cadillac V864 that was released in 1981, another brilliant idea of theirs, uh, and it's frequently named as the worst American car of all time. Uh, as one reviewer put it, uh, the 864 fuel economy concept was, quote, a technology so advanced that not even GM knew how to build it. It, <laughs> it was a system that, now this is 1981, Think of think of how complicated the uh, the fuel injection system and the fuel system is on the modern car. Now imagine trying to make up something as complicated as that in a system that's never been tried before using 
essentially Commodore 64 technology, and you get some idea of how bad the Cadillac V864 was. It was a V8 engine, and the, <laughs> again, the, I have to use air quotes, the computer inside the car would turn off two or four of the cylinders if it sensed that, hey, this 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 huge car is going down a hill. We don't need to have eight cylinders. Let's save some fuel. And it never could, the computer could not figure out how to do that in a timely fashion. When you put your foot in the gas, it could never respond in time. Uh, also, it couldn't really actuate closing off these cylinders fast enough. So, so occasionally, <laughs> it would reactivate a cylinder and still had like a big doll of gas like in the chamber, which was dramatic. It announced your presence at the, at the quickie mart with a certain amount of authority. The, uh, the, uh, the only good thing I can say about it is that if you are eagle eyed and a fan of Martin Scorsese, this is the car at the very beginning of the movie casino that Robert De Niro gets in and gets blown up in. You can actually see the fuel saver thing on the dashboard as the flames are sort of like peeking out of the dashboard. So it was used in a Scorsese movie. It's got that going for it. But yeah, after 13 software updates and maybe about a year, GM decided to just drop the whole idea. Uh, oh, they also came up with the X platform concept. Uh, that was from 1980 to 1985. Now, that was this brilliant idea in which GM decided they're going to have a whole line of different cars, but they're going to develop this unified platform with all of these individual models with design and engineering input from all of GM's different labels and car divisions. And none of them were apparently comparing notes with one another at any step in the process. So you already, just by looking at any of these cars, know that, yeah, these are, this was, this was a car that was designed by 12 people and five decades before Slack. Uh, or any other kind of effective meetings uh, or hall or hallway technology, you know, or moving from one part of the building to a common meeting area that had not quite been, in, uh, quite been invented yet. Uh, there are myriad defects in the X one, the X car platform concept. Uh, these defects were capped off with a brake system that would lock up at random, leaving certainly no trousers unfilled amongst drivers, passengers, and pedestrians alike. The department of justice, Loved this car so much that they sued GM for a mandatory recall of every car in the entire X car line. So that was like many, 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 many different labels. Just the entire thing. Get them the hell off the highways. Um, oh, okay. okay. This it's I, I, this might have gone on too long, but their Pontiac division. GM ran the Pontiac division. They made the Pontiac Aztec. The Pontiac Aztec, ladies and gentlemen, which was such a loser mobile that the producers of Breaking Bad knew that as soon as audiences saw Walter White driving one of these things, they would all understand that this man was the residue of his consistently bad choices made over a great many decades. Moving on. Again, the point I'm trying to land here is that maybe GM does not have a great track record for coming up with great ideas in the first place, executing those ideas very well, stuff like that. They, they, they're really good at they, the thing. The one product they make consistently and well, uh, is laughing stocks. I don't know if they're trying to make a laughing stock, uh, home car system, but we can, we can only find out. Uh, but okay. So there, this is a Google podcast. So that yes, they are dropping, uh, Apple, <laughs> Apple CarPlay. Yes, they are also dropping, uh, Android auto, but there is a silver lining of a sort. Uh, while the decision to drop CarPlay and Android auto 
definitely originated in deep, lower, fiery circles of hell. The actual engineering is going to be done in Mountain View, or at least a lot of it, because that's right, GM is working with Google to develop a bespoke infotainment system based seemingly around Android. Uh, the new system uh, will have Google Maps navigation built in. This is uh, the details came comes from a Reuters story that they were the ones who broke the story late last week. Um, so we'll have Google Maps navigation built in as well as the Google Assistant. So no matter what else we learn about this, we know that Google is definitely going to continue to de- benefit from being able to see all of that data uh, flowing through Google Maps, uh, especially if the system is tied in with the owner's Google account. Like if uh, you can't use Google Maps until you are until you're logged into uh, into your Google account, a that means great. That's another place where Google can watch you. And also, if you don't have a Google account and you want to use this in-car system that was developed by GM, maybe you're going to have to get a Google account. God knows who doesn't have one by now, but the people who don't have one by now by, by certainly have done so by choice, and that's going to annoy them to no end. But I, I'm, you know, I, uh, I can't judge a platform that's still under development. According to the Reuters article, Google started working with GM on this in 2019, so it must be very far along. Um, but... It still it gets up my nose. I don't I don't like this at all. Uh, it's it's another example of a, a company taking away a feature that its customers really 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 like, and all the benefits of making that change go to the company, and none of them go to the consumer. This is a way for again this is deleting the the headphone jack from the iPhone all over again. It's no, it's a feature that a lot of people love and use and count on. Removing it doesn't replace it with something better. It just simply takes something away from the user. And now Apple gets to say, hey, we don't have to pay for this component anymore. And hey, when we design the layout uh, and the packaging of this uh, of these electronics, we don't have to make room for a headphone jack anymore. So great. It's great to be Apple. It stinks to be someone who spent $1,000 on a phone. Imagine how good you feel when you're someone who spent $60,000 on an EV. And you can't get the in-car system that you want. More, more importantly, you can't just simply go from your old car, which had uh, had CarPlay or Android Auto, and simply switch to a new car that has the same system and will work exactly the same way that you've gone to know and trust. And you spent, again, $65,000 for it. And you know that if you don't know uh, immediately as you're, as you're signing the finance papers, you will come to learn, I'm sure, in the, in the first weeks or months of using the system that – Oh my God, the benefits to GM of owning that center console and not even just building hardware that, uh, that, uh, Apple operating systems and Google operating systems can project apps into. It's a huge, huge win. I mean, there it's a win because GM isn't ceding ownership of that big center console screen and the other screens to follow. Remember, it's just your entire dashboard is going to be a glass dashboard. So, and I, I can understand why they wouldn't—they wouldn't necessarily want Apple or Google to control that space. That's a very valuable space, but it means that GM will be first gets to be first in line to monetize that enormous and valuable stream of personally identifiable data. Let's not forget that all of these in-car systems just continually, uh, continuously uh, transact. Uh, Google, uh, sorry, GM does say that popular media apps like Spotify will be included for free, fine, but it's almost a certainty that GM is going to create its own bespoke app store for uh, third-party apps, and that means that they'll be the ones that are taking that 30% cut of all app revenue. They won't be leaving that as an opportunity for Apple or Google. 
if we posit that maybe maybe this huge corporate international corporation are run by bastards, we could also imagine that why would they necessarily automatically just let you buy the one app that you want? Why wouldn't they just simply sell you a pack, make you uh, buy a package of $50 worth of apps, the one that you want and the four that you don't want. These are the company. This is the, this is the industry that decided that, Oh, you want the windshield wipers. Well, if you want windshield wipers, it's only part of the available as part of the, the $8,000 sport rally package with the special limited edition leather trim and the special rally wheels. Like, no, I just want the better windshield wipers. It should set me back maybe $800, but nope, that's not how, that's, that's not how bastard, uh, uh, bastard accounting actually works. And uh, since we are in bastard mode here, let's not forget that the long game for all automakers across the industry is to turn the car into a monthly service as much of it as possible, make it into a monthly subscription service instead of a one-time purchase. Uh, uh, was it Mercedes or BMW that was famous for it? Guess what? You want heated seats? No, that's not like a $300 option. That is something you have to pay $15 a month for forever. And like with this level of control, there is no limit to what kinds of basic car features GM will be able to convert into monthly subscriptions. Like the entire car could be a monthly subscription, which is not only a, a, a big kick in the butt for the consumer, who again is probably already laid out sixty to sixty-five thousand uh, dollars, and certainly is not feeling pleased that there's they're going to have to pay one hundred and eighty dollars a month just for basic stuff that they would have gotten for free in in a more sane universe run by a more kind God. Uh, <laughs> Uh, it also means that if you buy that car secondhand, no, this, no, this, the, the, it's, I'm sure that it annoys GM and all these other other automakers that wow, it's unfair that when someone sells the car, we don't see us and we don't see any money out of that. That's unfair, and so essentially, all the subscriptions will, will simply go away with the previous owner. And now again, they're gonna have they're gonna still get 180 bucks a month from the new owner because. They live in a they 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 live above a certain uh, a certain parallel on the on the planet, and they need heated seats. You just need heated seats. You don't you don't have enough you don't have enough integrated butt padding to compensate for going back to airport parking after in January after a week away. You just you need the heated seats. Oh yeah. So yeah, this isn't good news for consumers. It isn't good news at all. Uh, but it might not be fatal. It might, it, it might be just GM making GM cars suck. They might have contained the suckage to their own man, their own brand, uh, because other car makers are publicly, vocally committed to CarPlay and Android Auto. They know that these are features that car buyers want. Now, I would stop just short of thinking that there, there are a lot of people, of course, on social media who, who are reacting to this news by saying, oh, congratulations, GM. You've just guaranteed that I will never buy another GM product ever. Because really, there are no circumstances under which you will <laughs> – because this does not have CarPlay in it, that means that even though it's good value for money, even though – the, the the car with uh, the color and the trim package and the features that you want is right there on the lot. You can drive it off today. Uh, even though it, this is, you've decided that this model is actually perfect for your needs. You're going to get rid of all of that because you can't use CarPlay. I'm not really sure. Ugh. So I'm, I'm, but I'm hoping that this does, that the other automakers do run some numbers and decide that, it's dangerous to play that game. That's not an advantage that they want to give up quite so soon. Uh, GM 
is taking a big risk that a customer in a showroom is going to be so fall in love at the new electric Buick Skylark in flake purple, (laughs) the Bootsy Collins edition that, oh, they won't even care that something as trivial as their phone working very well inside it (laughs) or working the same way as they did with their old car. Well, we're going to continue our driving themed <laughs> our driving themed uh, act here with uh, a story about Google Drive, and this was not good not got not good news at all. There was some really bad craziness going on with Google Drive last week and earlier this week. It wasn't a bug, and it wasn't a, an attack by a hacker ring. It wasn't a, a distributed do- denial of service. It wasn't a botnet or anything like that. This was one hundred percent of Google's own doing, and uh, I'm still baffled by it. So earlier this year, for about February, Google decided to put a brand new hard limit on the number of files that you can store in your Google Drive. Five million items. And five million may seem like a lot, but for a lot of users, it wasn't. A lot of users, including many who absolutely depend on Drive for the day-to-day running of their businesses, suddenly found themselves locked out of creating or uploading new files. They would just get an error message saying that, oh, you've run out of your limit of blah, blah, blah. Please delete some files to make room, blah, blah, blah. And oh, let's, let's, let's continue here, though. Uh, so that, that, uh, that five, it's a little bit confusing, but that five million file limit, that doesn't just apply to the number of files that are actually inside your Google Drive at any one time. It seems to apply to the number of files that have ever been created or copied into it since you started using it. Even if you upload a thousand files every month and delete 900 of them. It's like each transaction counts against your 5,000, uh, 5 million uh, file creation limit. Oy. So why did Google do this? Well, it almost, almost hardly matters even, but they have offered this explanation. The, the story, they, they made this change in February. It really blew up in the, in the press late last week. And they finally had to deal with it as a PR disaster. They said, Oh, well it's quote, a safeguard to prevent misuse of our system in a way that might impact the stability and safety of the system. So yes, you were shut out of the cloud storage system that you absolutely rely on to run your business, but it was all for your good. You'll thank us later. We do and we do and we do for you kids. We don't expect any thanks. Lord knows we don't get any thanks. But in our in your hearts, you know that we love you and we wouldn't be doing this if it weren't important, you stupid, ignorant little user. Yeah, it, it doesn't make much sense. Like it's a five million file limit. <laughs> and that's it's a five million file limit, whether you're on a free account with 15 gigabytes of storage, which okay, you how good luck filling that up, or if you're paying a hundred dollars a month for 20 terabytes. It's like when you're paying a hundred dollars a month, doesn't that earn you a little extra headroom? Apparently not. Um, but also how Google introduced this new limit makes even less sense. They didn't warn their customers ahead of time, they just didn't. They just silently flipped a switch on a server a couple of months ago. The 5 million file limit wasn't even documented anywhere. As a result, all of their users, all their Google Drive users, had no time to prepare for the change. They were completely blindsided. They didn't find out that anything was different until Google Drive stopped working for them. And when error messages started occurring and piling up, they, they had to waste valuable time and productivity trying to diagnose what they thought was a bug when, in fact, the feature was working exactly as it was, as Google intended it to. Uh, 
And it's good to remember or repeat that Google Drive, it's great. It is a robust, enterprise-ready cloud storage product. So, you know, I use Google Drive for a bunch of my media that I like to be able to access anywhere, my PDFs that I want to be able to read, books, stuff like that, research files. Okay, but that's just me, one user with with one account. The other, uh, the user with one account can be a, a software development company or a, or consultancy firm that is uh, buying uh, an enormous amount of of, of uh, Google Cloud store, excuse me, Google Drive storage space, and they're using that storage space to provide critical servers services to hundreds or thousands or even tens of thousands of users, and all of those users cannot use those critical services that they are contracting from me uh, contracting from me because of this problem that they could have informed me about ahead of time because God knows they planned this ahead of time, but they thought that I didn't need to know about this. That's just stupid. That's just breathtakingly irresponsible way for Google to do business. So uh, this new file limit and the chaos it was creating for a lot of people exploded in the press late last week. And apparently all of that bad publicity accomplished with thousands of reports of service disruptions on user support forums could not, could not create. Google announced this week that it was immediately rescinding that 5 million file cap. Oh, they also said that if they make any similar changes to Google Drive in the future, they'll warn customers ahead of time even. Good for you, Google. Ah, uh, that, that makes it. No, it doesn't make up for anything. Just, uh, that was still stupid. That was horrible. I mean, this, this whole circus doesn't fill me with any confidence about how Google is being run. Okay, does it fill you with confidence about Google's management, how they uh, how, how they make their products, how they support their products, how they come up with strategic plans, how they execute on their plans? They could not even figure out that a, a service disruption to hundreds of thousands of users is something you're going to want to tell them about beforehand so that they can prepare for it, or at minimum, so that when things stop working, they know exactly how to stop working. And this is the company that is going to make a chatbot AI that doesn't lead to the downfall of intellectual discourse and research for the for all time. We trust them with that. They're going to be making self-driving cars that are absolutely pilotless and are interacting on wet, snowy streets at dusk filled with jaywalkers and delivery people on electric bicycles. They're, they're managing that product, product, project well. Okay, it's all of these things are interconnected. You can't, if, when they make a decision this bad and it's not followed by, <laughs> see this guy who's covered in, 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 in coconut cream pie residue and pie crusts, that's Dale. That's the guy who basically went ahead and did this thing. Uh, here is a live stream, 4K live stream of basically him being hit in the face with 2,000 pies. Uh, and we basically made him stay. And no, he wasn't allowed. They weren't even good tasting pies. We'd made sure that if any fell in his mouth, he would not get a delicious dessert treat. He would thoroughly not enjoy any of this experience. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> oh, oh, and also, uh, I'm also trusting this company with my personal data. Many of which is medical data. <laughs> I'm sleeping great tonight. Oh, sleep tracking data. They're also getting that too. Uh, okay, well, let's move on. <laughs> let's close the show until uh, I depress I, I depress all of you. 
thank you so much to, for listening this week. Uh, Flo, again, will be with us for uh, the, this week's bonus episode. If you are a member, you will be able to get uh, listen to that probably Friday night when it drops. So recording that tonight while this uh, while this main episode is being edited and posted. Uh, and by all means, go to relay.fm membership to become a member. Uh, we are so grateful to all of you for your time, for the amount of time that you spend with us. Because that, that is the most cherished uh, and limited commodity that any of us have. We can make more money. We cannot make more time. Uh, but of course, in this, as Sundar Pichai says, this unprecedented global macroeconomic situation, it's, it's always, we appreciate those who, uh, who, who take the time uh, to give us some of their money each and every month because that absolutely comes in handy. We, we're feeling the love. We feel the love from all of you. We also feel your money, which is, <laughs> which is great. Uh, I'm sure that Flo would like me to remind you to go to flowrights.tech to find out everything that she's writing for Gizmodo and for other places. She has a whole bunch of really good content this week. Uh, and uh, let's see. You can find me. I'm Anatko on Twitter and Instagram. I'm uh, if you, uh, you I do uh, uh, about a half hour of tech news uh, conversation uh, for Boston Public Radio Radio with WGBH News Boston's NPR station. You can listen to all any of that stuff at wgbhnews.org. Uh, sometimes I am there when the, I'm in the studio, the video studio. Uh, they uh, record they, they they do it in front of a live studio audience at the Boston Public Library twice a week. And so for those, you can go to the WGBH News channel on YouTube and see any of the stuff that I've been uh, on in the past. Next week, I will be at the Boston Public Library Thursday at 1230 in the afternoon, probably for about a half hour. Uh, so drop in, buy yourself a cup of coffee and a cookie and watch the live show. Or again, listen to the stream live at WGBHnews.org or watch the stream live, live or later at the WGBH News channel on YouTube. That's it for this week. Thank you so much again for listening this time. We hope you'll be listening to us again next week. Until then, everybody have a happy and safe and healthy and wonderful seven days. Bye-bye.